Good morning. Reading from Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 5 until chapter 2, verse 4. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by us, attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Would you help us as we turn to your word? Would you be our vision? Would that refrain, High King of Heaven, be from our lips and our hearts and our lives? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn to Hebrews and chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. Every time he speaks publicly these days, if you've noticed, it comes with a warning. Who? The Taoiseach. And have you noticed this? When he speaks, he'll say a few sentences of an update about the circumstances we're in, followed by an almost throwaway or routine line about the importance of remaining vigilant. Now, warnings like that, they become so frequent and they sound so similar to the last warning 
that they're in danger of really not being heard. Or more accurately, it's not that the warnings are in danger, that's bizarre, it's that we are in danger of not properly listening to them. Though perhaps there's a bigger issue. Whether or not we're immune to hearing frequently repeated warnings, you know, like when the fire alarm goes off because you burnt the toast again, oh yeah, you don't even bat an eyelid. But the, more, the bigger issue is the way you and I respond to authority. For example, who has the authority to warn us to tell you what to do? Or more pointedly, if you're a Christian, are you living under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, having grabbed our gaze and focused it onto the astounding sun, this biblical writer to the Hebrews, he sets up for us and then delivers the first of a series of powerful warnings for Christians. And when that warning comes, we should be clued in as to the supreme authority of the one that this warning's about, the amazing, the divine, the preeminent, the authority of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so as you and I study the Bible here today, here's what you're gonna hear. You're gonna hear a very strong call to personal commitment. Now, not, for, not strong because I'm delivering it, but strong because it's biblical and it's personal to each one of us, a call to personal commitment. And whether you're a seasoned follower of Christ or whether you're just getting going or even whether you're not sure what to think anymore, this is a serious call in your life. And the loudest calls today, as we know, are to live your own way. Do what you want, the way you see fit towards some notion of self-fulfillment or happiness getting what you want out of life. And if that's where you're headed, this message will be right in your face today. And in your face with something better than that. So I want you to listen out. A call, a strong call to personal commitment to something better than the direction the world is pointing you in. Now first, we're gonna see how this section of Hebrews from one verse five to two verse four, how it divides into two parts before we take just a couple of minutes to consider the warning itself. So firstly then, from chapter one, verse five, to the end of chapter 14, the, the writer of the Hebrews is really explaining to us that the son is the better messenger. Okay, so that's what this whole section is about here. The son, who we've been introduced to in the first four verses, is the better messenger verses five to 14. Now the comparison being explored here is the one we finished on in verse four, between the sun and angels. Now we could spend a long time here considering each of these seven quotations from the Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? There were seven declarations about who the Lord Jesus, the son was last week in those first four verses. And now we come upon and the rest of chapter one, seven quotations from the Old Testament. But here's what the writer's doing. He's proving to Christians that the Old Testament evidence overwhelmingly makes the case that Jesus Christ, God's son, is superior to the angels. He's better. Now if you have a look at this section, even the way it's laid out in the Bible helps us to see that there are actually 
three pairs of quotations from the Old Testament, and then one verse that's the, the blockbuster verse, if you like, at the very end in verse 13. So three pairs of quotations, and then one at the end. So seven quotations from the Old Testament. Now this is a very effective way to make your point. Teenagers take note. Here's how to make the point to your parents. You give them all the evidence, block after block after block after block after block, and at the end, your parents just nod and go, okay. Well, not quite. But this is an effective way in the ancient world to make a point. You see, you don't just cite one quotation, you give seven, and by the end of it, we should all be saying, I can't argue. It's right, it's, it's in black and white. Well, look at the first pair. We'll, we'll go quick, don't worry. The first pair in verse five. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So what the writer's saying, in other words, is God never told an angel this kind of thing. God never declared to an angel the things that he said to and about his son. And these are quotations from Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7. You see, because the son, he's God's son. And then in that 2 Samuel 7 reference, he's the son of David too. He's in this line. And that makes him better better than the angels because he's in this amazing relationship as son of God, son of David. Better, a better messenger than any angel. Second pair, verses six to seven. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, verse six, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So this is Psalm 97. And you'll see that the angels are told to what? They're told to worship the son. Let all God's angels worship him. In other words, the son's superior. You won't worship something that's equal or lesser. And then in that next quote from Psalm 104, you can see that the angels are created, they're made. And they function as simply messengers for God. They're not in themselves, the angels, they're not divine. They're simply messengers, they were created. You see, the son's better than all of this. He's divine, eternal. Where am I getting this from? Well, that's the third pair of quotations from verses eight, or from verses 10 to 12. You see, he made it all, didn't he? He, verse 10, he laid the foundations. Isn't that an amazing thing to say about anyone? He laid the foundations of the earth. He's not gonna need replacing at the end of term like all those school clothes and books that wear out. Look at verse 11. Instead, the son, he'll roll up the clothes, all the worn, ups, all the worn out stuff. He'll put it in the box and, and pass it on to the, to the clothes bank. What a striking picture. Now this comparison is all going one way, isn't it? Angels and the son. Who's better? Well, obviously the son. Much much superior. And so the climax of these seven quotations is number seven, which is from Psalm 110, verse one. Incidentally, the, the passage of the Old Testament most quoted in the New Testament, Psalm 110. And look what it says. And to which of the angels has he ever said, 
sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And did you notice that even the way this is quoted, it rounds back to the same way this section began in verse five with that rhetorical question. And to the which of the angels has God ever said or has he ever said? In other words, God never said this of an angel. Instead, what does God do? Just look at verse 13. What does God do to the son? What's he doing? God enthroned him. Sit at my right hand. I will make your enemies, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. God's enthroning the son in this amazing eternal dialogue. And what about the angels? Well, look at verse 14, the end of the section. They serve. They're not like the son. They serve. Sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvations. In other words, for Christians, verse 14, angels, they worship the son, and the son is the one with all the authority. He's the creator. He's the eternal. He's the divine one. He's addressed as both God and Lord, better messenger, supreme preeminent, slam dunk. The writer tells us, the son has it. It's an amazing way to argue, isn't it? And it's really effective. We should be at verse 14 going, that's who Jesus Christ is. That's the son. But did you realize that about the Lord Jesus? It was a bit shocking to read about one of Queen Elizabeth's grandchildren. Um, This little girl was going to school before she realized that granny was also the queen. Did, Did nobody give her a coin? But anyway, she was in school and her school friends pointed out, see your granny, she's the queen. She didn't recognize the head of state, her sovereign. Well, as a Christian, think about your view of Jesus, the son. Is it too narrow, perhaps immature? It may not be robust enough as you realize that he's eternal, supreme, enthroned. And if you haven't seen Jesus like this, the problem is is that, you see, you're not gonna hear the warning when it comes at the start of chapter two. It's about to sound, but you're not gonna hear it because you've not quite got it right who the son is. Well, the Bible's urging us, this is what's happening, not to assume that as a Christian, you're just gonna move up to the next class of maturity. Junior infants, senior infants, first class, second class. No, no, don't assume you're just gonna go into the next class every September, but see and learn the status and authority of the one enthroned and seated at the right hand of God. Isn't that amazing? What will maturity like that look like in your Christian life? Well, here's what it's gonna mean, a couple of things. Not just a casual connection to Jesus. It's, it's the kind of interest in Christian things. It doesn't really go to the nerve center of your day-to-day operating system. It means looking again at the trajectory of your career, maybe your relationships, your friendships, your goals. Where's your life heading? What's your five-year plan? And of course, when you make decisions, we're gonna need to learn more and more what it's like to be a Christian, knowing and recognizing the Supreme Lord, and then make those decisions with him in mind. The son is the better messenger. And then at the beginning of chapter two, 
comes the word that shows us that what we've been learning is linked to what follows. Look at the start of chapter two. What's the very first word? Therefore. It's a good clue in scripture, isn't it? Therefore. Now we know that what follows is linked to what's just been said. And let's read it. Therefore, chapter, one, chapter two, verse one, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we ne neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now we're gonna come back to that warning in verse one in just a moment, but what is what the writer's saying here? He's saying because the Son is better than the angels, and we've just seen the slam dunk on that one, because the Son is better than the angels, his message is better too. The Son's message is better, verses one to four. Now this comparison with angels was so that the author could show us all that if the Son, okay, if, let's go here, if he is superior to the angels themselves, then so is the message of salvation that the Son completed, that the Son delivered. So let's listen even harder and closer, he's saying. Now who were the angels? And this is important for us to sort of get a little bit of a handle on this. The angels were understood to be the ones who helped deliver that revelation to Moses at Mount Sinai. And it's not quite explicit in the Old Testament, but the New Testament shows us, and you can look up these passages in Acts chapter seven, verse 38, for example, and Galatians chapter three, verse 19. Look them up later, but you'll see that there, there were angels that mediated or delivered that message from God to Moses in the Old Testament. And so now the writer of the Hebrews, what's he saying? Well, he's saying God gave an important message through angels. It was important. It deserved to be listened to. Look at it, verse two here. It was reliable, Hebrews two, verse two. And not just reliable, those who broke that message, those who broke the commandments, for example, faced consequences, also, verse two. But God's son is better than the angels in his status and authority. Chapter one, verses five to 14, we've seen that. God's son is better. So it's true that his message is better and more complete. And therefore, it's even more important that we listen to him. It's quite a chain of, of logic, isn't it? But you, it makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, the angels had an important message, but they're not as important as the son. The son's message, therefore, is more important. Therefore, if people broke the angel's message, that law, they got punishment, how much more should we listen to the one delivered by the son? That's the logic here in this passage. So his message um, um, is, is that we must pay more careful attention to it. Now, now, what is this message? It says here in verse one, we have to pay closer attention to, but what is it? Well, look at from verse three. It was declared at first by the Lord. Jesus himself, you'll remember from the Gospels, Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, believe the Gospel. 
and Jesus' message was salvation. And all of that was attested, also back to verse three of chapter two, by those who heard. So think of the Christians that the writer of the Hebrews was writing to. Remember a specific church, we're not sure who, a specific order writing, uh, author writing to them. Well, those Christians, they heard the gospel not firsthand, but secondhand, a bit like us. They heard it through witnesses, in the same way as we read the Bible's witness and we find out about Christ. And then, verse four of chapter two, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, etc. So as it was passed on, at the same time, you see God gave some compelling evidence, his witness, the things we read about in the Acts of the Apostles, God doing mighty things to accompany the sharing of this message, and yet, that terrible, terrible danger. You see, the, the recipients of this letter were facing great danger, and that's not just them, it's us and BlackRock too. Two dangers, two words in this that stand out. The danger of verse one, drift, and the danger of neglect, verse three. But we've seen that the son is better. We've seen he's the better messenger, and his message is a better message. And so hopefully, when the warning is now coming at us, it'll really hit home. So what is that warning? Pay much closer attention to that message of the Son, that message of salvation, lest we drift away from it. Did you notice what the, the writer did here at the very start of the chapter? Look at that little word, we. The we word, we. Well, look at it. He includes himself. We must pay much closer attention, myself and all you other Christians. So here's the start of this very strong call to personal commitment to Christ and the gospel because we're under really great threat. We're gonna drift away if we don't. Drifting away, you don't have to think very hard, do you? And imagine what that's like. The scenes from the last couple of weeks are fresh in your mind as they are mine. You know, rising storm surges across the world, waters rise. In some cases, the whole contents of someone's home, the house itself drifted away. And many Christians, this writer's suggesting, are sitting on the low-lying floodplains in terms of their faith in the Lord. You're gonna drift away. You're gonna ignore the salvation of God's superior son. You're gonna drift away. Changing the picture just slightly, you see, maybe Christians are in danger of being a bit like boats. Christians are like boats. Here's how the writer to the Hebrews is explaining. Boats that having once been moored securely at one time or other are in danger of slipping the ranker. You see, sometimes the boats and the boat owners don't realize that they haven't quite anchored securely. Maybe they left their ropes tied to a couple of random wooden posts in the harbor. Aware of the need to be anchored, but not quite secure to the supreme, unmovable anchor that's right in the vicinity. And so they paddle around the harbor. And then the rising waters come, and the associated storm surge rolls in, and suddenly they're drifting. Drift, a danger for those Christians who heard this letter for the first time, a danger for us too. Drift, what about neglect though, that second one? What about neglecting? 
That's possible too, isn't it? Christians like us. Uh, we see the, the Lord Jesus Christ and yet somehow stop seeing his greatness as well. He's just Jesus. Oh yeah, I know, I know the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's just Christian stuff, just Jesus. And so the warning is code blue. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You see, there was punishment. We can't ignore that. The Bible tells us there was punishment when people broke the older revelation, the old covenant delivered through angels to Moses at Mount Sinai. There was punishment. So don't neglect the supreme son Christ who is Lord and God and enthroned from eternity past to eternity future. The one who made it all, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He should be rising in our thoughts and estimations. Jesus who in himself brought the message of God's salvation through his life and death and resurrection. Not just Jesus, the enthroned son. Well, just before we finish, here's a warning for young people growing up in Christian homes or older people from Christian backgrounds maybe. You've seen Jesus, heard the message, you've sung the choruses, but did you realize he's the Lord? He's your sovereign king, don't drift. Don't drift away, and this is to all of us, into some sorry excuse for happiness or self-fulfillment. That's a dead end. And don't neglect, don't neglect the great salvation he brings. The Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, with all the authority of God, pay much closer attention from here on in. And hear this, your call for personal commitment to him. That's your responsibility, you see, because you can go to Elevate or you can go to a Bible study or pray first or church until you're blue in the teeth. Blue in the face. Yeah, blue in the face. Might be blue in the teeth as well if you're me. But anyway, you can do all those Christian things, but unless you take the personal responsibility of saying, I'm committed to Christ the Lord, you're, you're about to drift. Don't drift. Hear your call again to grow up and consider him more closely. And the writer of the Hebrews is gonna talk about maturity as, as we go through here. And then students, maybe you're, you're embarking on that new voyage. Let's extend that boating metaphor for a second. Students, you're embarking on a new voyage. I want you to pay much closer attention, but not me, the writer of the Hebrews wants it. Pay much closer attention to the sun. Don't assume you'll be a Christian and dip in and out of churches and see yous and you'll drift, you'll neglect. We've got a young adults group. We've got student stuff going on. There's Bible studies and, and they're all important, but don't just go along. Come and take personal responsibility to grow as a Christian. To all of us, let's keep coming to church so that we're reminded, myself included, week in, week out, about the enthroned son of God, the son who's the better messenger, the son's message being the better message. Therefore, pay much closer attention. Now, just as we finish, isn't it interesting that we often ask people who don't know the Lord uh, to consider Christ? 
You know, have you ever considered Christ? Have you ever thought about what the Bible says? But hear the Bible saying to Christians, consider Christ. Consider Christ the Son in all his authority and stature so that you won't drift, so that you won't neglect this gracious, life-fulfilling, eternal salvation he offers. So listen to him and respond to him today. That strong call to commitment not like the rerun of a good story, but as it's pre- presented to us here in Scripture, the Lord elevated before us. Why don't we pray? Father, drift and neglect are at our doors. We've heard the name Jesus. We've been around churches. We've personally taken responsibility and committed to you in the past but Father, work in our lives and hearts again this morning at the start of this new season. Father, help us to pay much closer attention, every one of us, to that great salvation, to the supreme Son who's even better than any other person or authority, any direction we're pointed in or nudged in. Help us to worship him with our lives. Grab hold of us once again. Help us to anchor to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.